Well, let's uh, begin this morning by reading our text, Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, but let's start reading at verse 34. So Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. This is the words of the, the Lord Jesus in his sermon on mission, sending out the twelve. Verse 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Then chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Well, this text is the conclusion to Jesus' message on mission. Last time we looked at verses 34 to 39, and today we want to really focus on verses 40 to 42. Verse 1 of chapter 11 marks the conclusion of the message and the beginning of the next section, and you might remember that all um, five discourses, all five messages that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew, end with, and when, or, or well, I guess it, it literally is, and when Jesus had finished instructing, or when Jesus had finished preaching these words, or where there's, there's always a, and when he had finished, and it, it's literally, and, and it came to be when he had finished. And, uh, and that kind of is a, a marker that Matthew uses to indicate the, the sermon is done, the message is done, and then into the next section. Well, this message of Jesus in Matthew 10 has been, again, focused on the mission that Jesus sent the 12 out to do. Um, they were to go to the villages and cities of Galilee. They were to heal the sick. They were to preach the message of the kingdom. But we've also seen as we've been studying through this section that this is also for us, that, that Jesus also anticipated a, a further mission, an ongoing mission, even av- after his resurrection for his disciples, and then that that would continue really through the church age. Discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, means taking on his mission and taking his message to the world. That's part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We're going to follow him in preaching the good news and proclaiming the good news to the world. 
And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we must follow him in proclaiming this good news of salvation. Matthew ends this gospel rather dramatically with the Great Commission, the last words of the risen Lord to his disciples, and you could turn to Matthew 28. And so this is kind of shows us the, the ongoing nature of this mission, just kind of the way that this gospel ends is, is really amazing. And Jesus then tells us, the resurrected Jesus tells us as his disciples that our mission is to make disciples, to reach them with the gospel and to teach them how to follow him. And so Matthew 28, I'll just read verses 18 to 20 there. And, and, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our mission. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is still with his disciples in the flesh. And the focus on the, the message in Matthew 10 has mostly been on the cost of discipleship and the rejection that we're going to receive from the world. Jesus told us that we are like sheep in the midst of wolves. We will be persecuted and hated by the world. But we're to be so committed to him and to his cause that we actually even see persecution just as an opportunity to preach the gospel to more people. Jesus tells us not to fear persecution and he gave us five reasons not to fear that persecution in verses 24 um, to, to, I guess, uh, 20, uh, 32, 24 to 32, five reasons not to fear. And then verses 34 to 42 are the conclusion of this message. And in conclusion, remember, Jesus is appealing to our teach, our, our thinking. In verse 34, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. If we think that he came to bring peace and, and that Jesus came to make everything well and, and go well for us and that we would just be blessed and everything would be happy, 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 we will be sorely disappointed. And, and that's kind of like a little bit of a pun intended there. We'll be sorely disappointed. We're going to be persecuted, flogged, beaten. And so we, we're not to think that everything's going to go wonderfully. Jesus says that he actually came to bring division. He came to save people from their sin and then set them apart for him. Jesus came to make a distinction in the world between those who are truly saved and the unsaved. He came to make a distinction between the wolves and the sheep, between the persecuted and the persecutors. Jesus came to make enemies, even, he says, within our own families, as we are committed to following him, there's going to be hostility that arises even sometimes in our own families. And the reason for this, again, is that the world hates righteousness. The world hates God. And it hates it especially when God's servants go forth and call them to turn away from their sin, which is exactly what Jesus tells us to do in this message. And so that was the first thing that Jesus said in conclusion, that we're not to think that he came to bring peace. And then Jesus has these 10 
whoever statements, 10 he who statements that kind of finish the book, starting in verse 37. Whoever loves, whoever loves, whoever does not take up his cross, there's 10 of those whoever statements. And last time, again, we covered verses 37 to 39. And we summarized it this way. We, we kind of saw that section as do not think Sorry, there it is. Do, do, do not think that, uh, that Jesus came to bring peace. That was kind of the first part of our message last time. And then secondly, we saw in, in the next verses, verses 37 to 39, do not think that peace is worth more than Jesus. And we saw that a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ is what we must have if we're going to be faithful to our ministry. We're to love him more than our families. We're to love him even more than our own lives, even more than our own comfort in this world. We're to lose our lives for Jesus' sake. That's what the Lord calls us to. Now, everything in this sermon so far, this sermon of our Lord, has been negative, if you, if you can think of it, about it that way. Everything has been negative. There's not been a word about even the possibility that anyone is going to receive our message. There's there's been no mention of any success in the mission, and so this the majority of this whole sermon has been showing us that there's there's really there's not a whole lot of encouragement. Although I think as we've been looking at this, it it has been encouraging, but it's very much focused on on persecution, difficulties, and the cost of discipleship. We're told not to fear persecution because we're more valuable than than sparrows. God knows and God cares and God oversees our persecution. And in a sense, that's nice, but it's still going to be persecution. The persecutors, they, Jesus says, can't kill the soul. And, and that's nice, but the, the, the other side of that is that they will kill the body. Even the call to love Christ above everyone and to lay down our lives for his sake only really indirectly told us that he is greater than anything and everything else. But now, in the final three sentences of this sermon, Jesus gives us kind of some positive side of this whole thing. He gives us some hope and some positive motivation. He tells us about the the possibility that someone out there might receive us and our message. He tells us what will happen for them if they do. And until now, the, the emphasis, again, has been on rejection But here Jesus introduces the hope and possibility of reception. And there's so much to see in these few verses. And, and, um, and really I, I almost feel like we're going to just kind of ramble through them because there's, there's just so many little things that I want us to see. But I've divided the text this way here this morning. Three realities to encourage us in our mission. See, Jesus, remember again, he's, he's, he's speaking to the way we think, and he wants us to, to have some encouragement in this mission as he kind of closes off this sermon. And so the three realities to encourage us in our mission are going to be number one, receiving us means receiving Christ and the Father. And we'll see that in verse 40. To receive us as we go about our mission and proclaim the gospel means to receive Christ 
and the Father. And that should encourage us in our mission. Then secondly, receiving us means receiving our communication, our character, and our commitment. We'll see what that's all about in verses 41 and 42. And then thirdly, receiving us means receiving our reward. And we're going to kind of look at really, really we see that in verses 41 and 42 again, but we're going to kind of cover all the text again and go back over it. So let's study this text and let's be encouraged in our mission to serve Christ and serve his church. And so number one, receiving us means receiving Christ and the Father. And, and we're going to spend the majority of our time on this, this first point. So don't get worried or anything. We, it's all about the same length as normal, but we're going to spend just a long time thinking about this first thing in verse 40. So receiving us means receiving Christ and the Father. Again, Jesus says in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now again, so far, Jesus hasn't hardly mentioned the possibility that anyone would receive us or our message. In verse 13, he mentioned briefly the possibility that a home or a household might be worthy. And actually, I want you to turn back. Look at verse uh, t- Matthew 10, starting at verse 12. It's almost like Jesus comes back to this at the very end of the sermon. He says, as you enter the house, remember they were to go to these houses of, of Galilee, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And then Jesus focuses on the, the, the not peaceful, not worthy house. And he says in verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, very important, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable or more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And so the focus there quickly moves from the possibility of a worthy house to the house that is not worthy. The unworthy house will not receive Jesus' disciples or listen to their words. Such a house will find it less bearable than even Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah were those wicked cities known in the Old Testament for their perverse sexual sins. And God destroyed those cities with fire from heaven, brimstone and fire. But those cities, and and even you can see it in this verse, those cities are still awaiting a future day of judgment when God will judge them in full for their sin. The, the, The fire and brimstone from heaven that destroyed those cities is only like a foretaste of the judgment that's coming forever for those people. And Jesus says their punishment will be more bearable than the punishment of somebody who rejects the good news of salvation from his disciples. And so punishment in hell is going to be based on the severity of sin. Punishment in hell is going to be based on the severity of sin. What Jesus is saying is that the sin of rejecting him by rejecting his disciples is a greater sin than even the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And this is where this principle comes from, that the, the greater the light, the greater the accountability that somebody has, right? The more knowledge that somebody has of the truth of Scripture, the more accountable they will be for their sin. And if you think about it, Sodom and Gomorrah were very wicked cities, but they didn't know much, right? They, they, they knew what they were doing with sin, but they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the law of God. Really, all they had was whatever history of creation and the flood that was handed down to them kind of through Noah and his family. They had the, the testimony of creation and they had their consciences and that was enough to show them that, that, that God is God and that they should worship him and that they should turn away from that sin. And so Sodom and Gomorrah had enough knowledge to make them guilty of great sin, but they didn't even have scripture at that time. Scripture wasn't written. Moses hadn't even written the Torah yet. Israel, in Jesus' day, though, as we kind of come back to this sermon and what Jesus is saying here, those people in the cities of Galilee, they had the entire Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, and for them to reject Jesus' disciples was a sin against not only the creation and the conscience, but it was also a sin against the word of God and the light that they had. They should have known that Jesus and his disciples, that Jesus was the Messiah and that his disciples were representatives. Remember, Jesus' disciples were healing the sick as well as Jesus. Jesus had pretty much eradicated sickness in Galilee by this time. And so for the cities of Galilee to reject the Messiah and reject the testimony of the disciples that Jesus was the Messiah is a and was a greater sin, a sin against knowledge, a sin against the light that God had given them and all the proof that he had given them in those miracles and even in the in the words that were preached. And so again, Jesus said in verse 15, Matthew chapter 10, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That town that rejects Jesus' disciples or will not listen to their words. Now I just want to, and, and maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but I, I, I just wanted to say something about this principle and then we'll see how this kind of relates to what Jesus says in our text. You know, it's true that the more light we have, the more acquainted we are with truth, the more punishment we will be worthy of in hell. Jesus says that's what he's saying there. He says, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the judgment day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for a town that rejects him. Now, I've heard that there's some in our community who, who might think or might even go so far as to teach that because of this principle, it's actually best not to study the scriptures so that you won't have as much knowledge and therefore you won't be as accountable for sin. Anyone maybe give me a nod if they've kind of heard something like that before a little bit? Okay. Um, so I just want to think about that. It's just as I was preparing this message, I just thought, let's talk about that. Let's interact with that a little bit. Let's think about that. First of all, let's note that this principle applies to people who are going to hell. You see that? This principle really only applies if you're 
final destination is hell. And so if your goal is to have the best place in hell, then maybe you would think about doing that. But that, it, like, that's just ridiculous if you, if you talk, think about it, you know, it, if you ask me anyways. I, I guess that could work if that's your goal. But don't be deceived. That is only if your path is heading to hell. Secondly, Scripture actually commands us to seek after God. Isaiah 56, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Or Jesus says, as far as seeking the Lord goes, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. He wants us to learn from him because he is gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And so think about this a little bit more. If you know where to seek God in his word, like you actually know that God has revealed himself in his word and you don't seek him there, you're not making a a more bearable hell for yourself. Actually, what you're doing by doing that is rejecting God and making a greater punishment for yourself, right? God has commanded us to seek him and to know his ways in his word. And if you know that you should do that, that he's there and you refuse to do that, you are actually doing what Jesus says will be less bearable in hell, right? If, if I said that right, but I think you know what I'm getting at there. Now, third, as we think about this principle, if someone with this, uh, this idea that it, it, it's better not to seek God and not to learn his word was, was actually a Christian, okay? So let's just imagine now we're, we're not dealing with somebody on the way to hell, but somehow a Christian has this idea. And they, they kind of put this idea into practice. And they followed this method. Here's, here's what would happen in that case. They would be practically useless to God because of their lack of knowledge. They, they wouldn't know anything about what scripture teaches because they're avoiding that. And now they're going to be useless to God because they have really no idea how to live the Christian life. And what happens then is they become like the, the author in the, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews says to, to his hearers, the Hebrews, they had become dull of hearing. And so if somebody applies this as a Christian, what's going to happen is you're going to become dull of hearing. And Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And so if you applied this as a Christian, you would be dull of hearing. You would be like a a child who needs milk and not solid food. And again, you would be practically useless to God. And if you're useless to God and not very effective in the Christian life, then what's happening is you're actually not, you're not saving yourself from punishment because our punishment is paid for. What's happening is you're actually robbing yourself of reward in heaven for serving God well in this world. 
And so another way to put it would be to say that this mentality, instead of keeping you from punishment, actually robs you from reward. Now, we know, Grace Bible Fellowship, and I sure hope we know, that we are to pursue God and learn from his word, learn his ways, learn how to serve him with all of our heart and mind and strength. And then on judgment day, we can look forward to a great reward for serving him. Now, the, the principle itself is true. The, the more light, the more responsibility. But that doesn't mean, brethren, that we should try to walk in darkness. That would be a, a wrong use of that principle. It's also true that the, the more light, the more we can overcome sin, right? The more that we, we know the truth, the more the truth can set us free and help us to lear, le, learn how to live lives that please God. So let me bring you back now after that. We're, we're, we're looking at chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 right now, because it, it really, those verses show us the opposite of what we see in our text in verse 40. Whoever receives us, verse 40 says, receives Christ, and whoever receives Christ receives the Father who sent him. And the opposite of that would be to reject us, to not listen to us, and so reject both the Father and the Son. Now, both sides of this show us what's at stake in our mission. Remember, every Christian is called to be part of this mission of building the church, reaching the lost, and helping one another to grow to be like Christ. And both sides, this either accepting or rejecting, shows us what's at stake as we go about this mission. See, what we're doing as Grace Bible Fellowship, what, what this is all about, not just Sunday, but really all of what happens here is, is absolutely critical. Jesus will reveal later in this letter that, 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 um, or this gospel, that our, our mission to reach the world and make disciples is going to happen through the church. The, the Great Commission happens in and through a local church. And it's through the gifts that Christ gives his church that we are taught to obey everything that he commanded us. It's through the, the, the church that we build one another up to be more like Christ, that we grow together to be like him, which in turn makes us more effective in reaching the world for Christ. And so there's this, supposed to be this kind of ongoing growth and ministry and reaching out and, and kind of going further and further as we grow in Christ. The mission that Jesus is sending us on is the mission of the church. And together we build one another up in our most holy faith, and together we proclaim the message of salvation to the world. Our mission is, is broader than just our own local church. It's, it's bigger than Grace Bible Fellowship, but also we need to know this, that our mission can't be fulfilled without being a part of a local church. And that's super, super important for everyone to know. You cannot fulfill your purpose as a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are not part of and, and serving in a, a local church. And so the mission that Jesus gives us is a mission that we need to accomplish together in and through the local church. And, and again, this is critical because our mission is really heaven or hell. You know, you think about it. Why, why would we not give up 
in the midst of persecution, right? We're, Jesus told us, you go on this mission, you're going to be persecuted. Well, why would we continue to strive and, and, and serve the Lord in the midst of persecution? And there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons that Jesus is giving us in verse 40, and we can see the reverse of it in verses 14 and 15, one of the reasons that we don't give up in persecution is because if people reject us, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, if, if we don't reach people, they are going to go to hell and they're going to pay the penalty for their sin forever in hell. And another reason is that if they will receive our message, then they will enter into fellowship with God and into his heaven forever. Look again at verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus said in a, another place, John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you think about it, now that Christ ascended to heaven, it's going to be through us that people hear about Christ. And it's going to be through us that people come to Christ and then gain access to the Father through him. And even those, you know, if you think about it, who might come to Christ just simply by reading the word of God, the Bible, and that happens from time to time, but you, you, you know, you ask, well, who translated that Bible? Who, who gave them that Bible? How, who printed that Bible? Who purchased that Bible for them? And all of those things lead back to us. We are Christ's representatives on the earth. And so you see then how important our task is. You see, we are the people through whom the world will be saved. And there's, there's no other people through whom the world will be saved. It's only us. It's only us by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but it, it really, it has to happen through us. And if they receive us and they receive the message of the gospel that we preach, they will enter into fellowship with God. If we don't proclaim that message, the world will die in their sins. And so if we allow persecution or other trials or, or love of our own lives or love of our own comfort to stop us in this mission, the world will not come to the Father through the Son. And so verse 40 should be motivation enough for us to give up everything and devote our lives to missions or to the mission of the church in, in the ways that God has gifted us to serve. This verse should be enough to make us say, I will endure in this mission to the end, even if the government persecutes me or even if my family forsakes me. Lost sinners can be reconciled to God through us and really only through us. And so we must persevere and bring that message. We have the message that the world needs. And even if they hate us for preaching it, we must continue for their sake. Now, um, actually, two more things to notice as we kind of go on and we're looking at this verse 40. We need to emphasize, I think, this word there in verse 40, translated in the ESV, whoever. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him. Uh, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
Whoever receives you, Jesus says, and, and the gospel, and this is important, I think, for us and maybe even for some who, who think we don't believe this, the gospel is for whoever will receive it. Whoever will receive it. And, and that means no matter your sin, no matter your status in the world, rich or poor, or whatever kind of status you might have, no matter what a wretch that you have been, no matter the depth of depravity that you have sunk to in your life, if you will turn from that sin and receive Jesus Christ, if you will welcome him, which is what it means to receive him, that idea of receiving is welcoming. If you will welcome his ways and follow him the rest of your life, if you will give all of who you are to him and receive all of who he is, He will welcome you and his father will welcome you, whoever you are, whoever, whoever you might be, no matter what your circumstances, if you will come to Jesus Christ, he will adopt you into his family so that you will be a son of his father. Now, some translations have there, instead of the word, whoever they have, he, who, or the one that, but the idea is the same throughout here. Anyone who receives us, receives Christ, and through him, receives the Father. And so our message is for anyone. It's, it's a message for all. It's a message for the world, for whoever will turn from their wicked ways. It's a message for the people of Lacrete, and it's a message for people of the world, whoever they are and wherever they are, to the ends of the earth. I love how Peter says it in Acts 2.39. He says, the promise, the promise of salvation, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off as everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so this is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, one more thing that I just want to kind of observe as we're looking at verse 40. Thinking about this idea of what does it mean to receive us or to receive you? Jesus is, again, speaking to his apostles. He says, to receive you is to receive me. It's to, to receive the apostles is to receive Christ. And so what it, when we think about what does it mean to receive us? Well, whatever it means to receive us, it means ultimately that somebody receives Christ. And I think it's helpful to think about it that way. It's easier for us to understand what it means to welcome Christ than it is to think about what it means to welcome us. Christ is a living person, the Son of God, who we trust and welcome into our lives. We come to know him and we desire to live for his glory and for the Father's glory. That's what it means to welcome Christ or to receive him. We, we trust him as a living person. But how do we come to know this Jesus Christ? Well, it's again, it's going to be through his apostles, through his disciples. And when we think about this, we, we need to re- keep it in the context here that Jesus says this originally to the 12. They were his chosen representatives. They were going to be his apostles. He was going to send them out to the world as missionaries. And, and they would eventually write everything down that he told them in scripture 
the word of God. Matthew, who wrote the book that we're studying, is one of the 12. He wrote this gospel. The apostles, Ephesians 2.20 tells us, were the foundation of the church. <clears throat> and so they were... Um, they were in, a, in that sense, and we'll look at this a little bit more in verse 41, but they were prophets who wrote down Scripture. The Holy Spirit worked through them to write Scripture. And so to receive the apostles would mean to accept their teaching, to accept their testimony about Jesus Christ. To receive them would, would mean to become disciples of Christ yourselves or ourselves and to continue in their teaching without going astray into false doctrine. And so this, this chain, if we think about it that way, continues then from the apostles all the way through to us. We, we aren't apostles, but but we have the word of God that they wrote and we receive them by heeding the word of God. <clears throat> and so to receive us in the sense of like, how does somebody receive us now today would mean to accept the word of God and to follow Jesus Christ. Others receive us by accepting the word of the apostles through us that we faithfully preach and teach. So really the focus isn't so much on us as though we are anything. Receiving me is, is not the same as receiving Christ, but the receiving the message of Christ that we preach. And so to the extent that my preaching is faithful to Scripture, to receive that <clears throat> is to receive the apostles, and to receive the apostles is to receive Christ, and to receive Christ is to receive God. This is kind of like what I think Kevin would have touched on this in 1 John 1, 3, where John says our fellowship is with the Father. He's talking about the apostles there. John is one of the apostles. Our fellowship is with the Father. To fellowship with the apostles means to hold their doctrine and thereby to have fellowship with God. And so that was number one then. Receiving us means receiving Christ and receiving the Father. <clears throat> Number two, receiving us means receiving our communication, character, and commitment. <clears throat> I'm All right, number two, receiving us means receiving our communication, character, and commitment. And so Jesus moves from receiving us or, or receiving you to receiving a prophet, a righteous man, and a disciple. Look at verse 41 again. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold, a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, it might surprise you to know that there's a, a whole number of views on who Jesus is talking about here. 
You know, you think about who is a prophet, who is a righteous man that, that Jesus has in mind. And I'm not going to go through all the views and all the details. I'm just going to kind of explain what I think the best view is. The, uh, the apostles who Jesus was addressing, they were his disciples. And he told them on the Sermon on the Mount that to enter his kingdom, they needed a righteousness that surpassed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we saw there that true followers of Christ are those who have repented of sins and have been changed by God's saving grace so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we practice righteousness in our day-to-day lives. And so the apostles were righteous men. They were committed to righteousness, even, even though they still had lots of room to grow yet, they were committed by, as followers of Christ, to being righteous in their lives. They were going to learn from Christ how to live righteously in the world. And the apostles were also prophets. They prophesied, or at a future point, they would prophesy. They would be the writers of Scripture. And when we think about the twelve, Peter John and Matthew, all of them wrote scripture. And the others, we don't know as much about them, but they might have prophesied too in the sense that that they would have spoken the word of God. Now, sometimes when we think about prophecy, we think about predicting the future. And that, that might be part of it. Prophets sometimes did predict the future, but they did that because it was God who spoke through them and God knows the future. And so most often they spoke the future as prophets just to, as a, as a confirmation that they were the ones who, who truly spoke for God. And so the nature of prophecy is to speak God's word. The, the, the nature of prophecy is why we trust our Bibles because the prophets spoke God's word. The, the Holy Spirit carried them along. In the words of 2 Peter 1.21, the, the, the Spirit carried them along so that they spoke the word of God. In fact, why don't you turn over to 2 Peter. <clears throat> Very important passage on scripture, 2 Peter one. 19 to 21. I'm not going to look at the whole thing. But 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy was never by the will of man. Men never just thought, I'm going to prophesy, and, and they did it themselves. It was, it was actually the Holy Spirit carrying these men along, these chosen men who God had worked their whole lives through them and prepared them for this writing, and, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in such a way that what they wrote could be said to be from God, like the ultimate source of scripture is actually God himself through those human authors. And so the prophets spoke in such a way that what they said or what they wrote could be described as God's word. What the prophets spoke is what God spoke is what scripture spoke. And you'll see that interchangeably used where sometimes Moses will say something. And then later on, the other writers of scripture will say, well, God said this. 
And then other times it'll say scripture said this. And so what, what the prophet wrote is what God wrote is what the scripture says. And so when Jesus says prophets in Matthew 41 and 42, he's probably thinking about the apostles and their capacity as prophets who would one day write scripture. Now, when we think about this then for ourselves, he who receives a, a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. I am not a prophet and you are not a prophet. Okay. I think that's good for you to know. <clears throat> you are not a prophet. I am not a prophet. The spirit of God might, might use us, but he doesn't, he doesn't speak through us in the way that what we say is what God says. That's what prophecy means. In fact, prophecy, true prophecy is always inerrant without error because God cannot err. And because God cannot err and he wrote scripture through the prophets, the scripture cannot err. And so I can err, you can err when we, when we speak. Prophecy means inerrancy. It means perfect speech with no errors. It means that Whatever is said or spoken or written is what God says so that God takes responsibility for what it is. And that's why, again, that's why we can trust our Bibles. If I were a prophet, to disobey a prophecy would be then to disobey God. And that's why I never call what I do up here prophecy. That would, that would be either claiming too much for what I do or what I say, or it would be, in a sense, bringing scripture too low because scripture is inerrant. You know, what I'm doing up here is my best to interpret the unerring scripture and then to apply it in our lives. I I seek to explain the text for what it says and what it means and to illustrate it and to show you how to respond to what the text means. But that's preaching. That's not prophecy. So I'm not a prophet up here, but let's, let's go back to our text then and look at it again to, when we think about what is this talking about to receive Peter or Andrew or James or John because they were prophets or because they were righteous men or because they were a disciple would be to receive them because you recognize them as one of those things. So to receive a prophet as a prophet would be to receive them as messengers of God. To receive them as a righteous person would be to receive them because you recognize them as those who live the righteous life that Jesus commanded us to live. And to give them even a cup of cold water because they were a disciple of Jesus would be to do so because you saw that they were disciples. Now again, we are not prophets And so there's a bit of a a distance between this text and us. We aren't prophets, but we do proclaim the word of God, which Peter and James and John and Matthew spoke as prophets. And we are as well to live out the righteous lifestyle that they lived. And we're to be disciples of Jesus, just like they were. And so putting this together, we can say for, for someone to receive us means that they too, like us, receive the word of God as their authority. And they receive the message of righteousness, that is, they turn from sin to worship God and to live the way that he commands us. And to receive us means that they too become disciples of Jesus Christ. Or again, we could put this in the words of the outline again. Receiving us means receiving our communication, our character, 
and our commitment. Again, our communication, because we preach the word of God, our character, because they see that we're being transformed by God's grace, and our commitment, because we too are disciples of Christ, committed to him. And receiving us isn't doesn't simply just mean kind of saying something like, well, oh, that's fine with me if you want to obey God's word or, or take on Christ's character or commit your life to him as a disciple. To receive here means to welcome. And the idea here is embracing these things into one's own life. And then welcoming and supporting those who do the same. And so this kind of reception, I think, is illustrated in John, or not John chapter 3, but 3rd John. So go to 3rd John, and I want to look at verse 5. Just praying today that the Lord will kind of help connect these things that I'm trying to connect here as best as I can. So John 3 and verse 5, this is a, a picture of what it would mean to, to receive somebody as a, a prophet, a, a righteous person, and a disciple. And so John tells Gaius in verse 5, Beloved, beloved Gaius, it is a, a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church, that you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so Gaius loved the brothers. They were These brothers were missionaries from John's church, and they went out to bring the truth to the broader world. They went out from John's church as missionaries to proclaim the gospel to the world. And Gaius loved them and supported them and received them and then sent them out further beyond his borders. John encouraged Gaius to send them out in a manner worthy of God and to support them as they went. And by doing that, Gaius would be a fellow worker with those missionaries from John's church. And what all of this teaches us is that, that we need to work together in our mission. You see, not every single Christian is going to be equipped to go and, and function as a missionary like that. Some of us are, are teachers and preachers, but other, uh, others of us are, are gifted to support the work with encouragement and prayer and resources. And we're to welcome those who work in the truth. We're to welcome those who are righteous. We're to welcome those who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's the idea of receiving a prophet in the, the name of a prophet, a, a righteous person in the name of a righteous person, and a disciple in the name of a disciple. We stand together with true believers who are doing God's work God's way and we support them and we join with them and we even are persecuted alongside of them because we're so committed to the work that they're part of. And so the encouragement here, as we think about this text back in verse 42 and and, uh, 41 and 42, the encouragement here from the Lord is that there's going to be some people who receive us in this way as we go out for the sake of the name, as we go out for the sake of Jesus's mission, 
Some people are going to receive the message that we preach. Some people are going to receive the righteous lifestyle that we live. And they're going to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Another encouragement that we could draw from this text is is simply the idea that God will provide for his work. He will provide people who are fully committed to the work. And so that there's going to be some people who receive all that we teach and preach and, and all that the apostles preached and taught. And, uh, and that's a, you know, that's a, a huge encouragement, I think, for the disciples. Even in the face of persecution and all the difficulties that Jesus promised, there's going to be some who receive the message and receive the, the whole lifestyle that Jesus teaches us to preach. So that's the second reality to encourage us in our mission. The third reality to encourage us in our mission is receiving us means receiving our reward. And this comes back to this whole idea of reward that we've seen so often in Matthew. And I included verses 40 to 42 again in this section because all of these verses that close Jesus' sermon point to reward. When somebody receives us, and becomes a follower of Christ and supports us in the mission with their gifts and their abilities, both we and they will be rewarded for what we do. Again, verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever, uh, whoever gives one of these little ones Even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now once again, there's a few views on on what all of this means. And so what is a prophet's reward and what is a righteous person's reward? And there's three views and I want to give you these three views. The first one is that a, a prophet's reward or a righteous person's reward is the reward that a prophet can give or that a righteous person can give. And if you think about that, in the Old Testament, those who associated with the prophets were often blessed through the prophets. And you think about maybe Elijah and how in the, in the famine of those days, that widow's oil never failed. And that was the reward that Elijah could give her for her hospitality to him. And so she was rewarded through him. And if you think about that and kind of apply it across the Old Testament, whenever somebody was closely associated with one of the apostles or the uh, the prophets, sorry, they would be blessed through the prophets. And so that's the first view. Another thought is that a righteous person's reward is the reward for receiving a righteous person. And this would be very similar to the first view, but the, the focus isn't so much on, on this reward coming from the righteous person, but it's a, re, a reward from God for receiving the righteous person. A reward from God appropriate to receiving one of his representatives. Now, I, I, I had to think like for a long time before I even got that one. And uh, I'm kind of getting the sense that that I'm, you might not be getting that either, and that's, that's okay. That's the second view. It's just a reward for receiving a righteous person. It's a reward from God for receiving a prophet. Uh, the third view 
And, and the first two are very, very similar that it's, it's actually a little bit hard to see the difference between them. The third view is that it's the same reward that the prophet or the righteous person receives. So if I receive a uh, one of the apostles or if I receive a righteous person, I will get the same reward that they get. Now this is, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Tell me if you've seen this. Have, this is like the false teacher's favorite verse. Anyone see, see that? Somebody explain this verse? One of those prosperity guys? Nobody? Okay. Um, well then, the, but this is their favorite verse because, and here's why. Because they'll say something like this, well, I'm a prophet. And they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be very dynamic as they say, I'm a prophet. I'm the Lord's anointed. And I, and I have a huge reward coming because I'm so awesome in the kingdom of God and so faithful. And, and because I'm so awesome and so faithful, if you give to my ministry, you're going to get the same reward, whatever that is, that, that I get. And so not only, you know, if you give 20 bucks to the ministry, then, then you could fly a jumbo jet just like me. And, and so this kind of becomes the, the false teacher's favorite verse. And I hate to have the same view as the false teacher, but I, I, I think in a sense, that is the right view. The, the prophet's reward is the same reward that the prophet will receive. But we got to adjust it a little bit. Um, and make it more realistic here. So um, let's adjust this. What, what we need to keep in mind here is that the word receive is a very, very strong word. To receive a prophet is to join him and to take on his mission and support it with all of your life. To receive a righteous person is to become righteous yourself and to receive a disciple is to become a disciple of Christ yourself. And so if someone, whoever it might be, would receive the word of God and follow after Christ and become a disciple of his, then they too are going to share with us in our mission to reach others. They're going to join us in the work of the gospel. And if that happens, they will also share with us our reward. And so the reward is, is not now like in verses 1 and 2, kind of make the reward uh, a present reality. The reward is actually a future thing. It's not, the reward is not going to be um, like a jumbo jet or something. It's heavenly reward that we're talking about. And you know what the false teachers never do? They never tie this back to the rest of this sermon where to receive us is actually to join with us in the persecution that we face as we bring this message message to the world. So to receive us is to join us in our work and then to be rewarded in the future. It's not send 20 bucks and and get a jumbo jet. It, it's, it's join the cause of Jesus Christ and his disciples by entering into their works, by supporting them with all of your gifts and abilities and resources, and you will be rewarded in the same way that they'll be rewarded as well. And notice verse 42. This is really important as we think about reward. The little one here is a disciple. One of these little ones, that's a, a disciple of Christ. And even a cup of cold, and, and it's just literally in the Greek, a, a cup of cold, but uh, implied, of course, is water. A, a cup of cold water to 
one of these will be rewarded. Of course, in the ancient Near East, traveling through the desert land, and you're going to be thirsty at the end of that trip, and a a cup of cold water would be a, a, a nice, refreshing thing. But even just something so simple as a cup of cold water to one disciple, truly I say to you, Jesus says, you will by no means lose your reward. There's, there's going to be a reward for the very least thing we do to support any of Jesus' disciples in the ministry of going and preaching the gospel. And that should encourage us, this idea of reward should encourage us and motivate us in our mission to the world. And just to kind of tie this whole thing up, in verse 40, we see the greatest reward that we'll have of all time. And that's, again, our reconciliation with the Father. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. Now he calls us to labor for his sake. Then he will reward us forever for all that we've done for him. And so these are these have been three realities to encourage us in our mission Receiving us means receiving Christ and the Father in verse 40. Receiving us means receiving our communication, our character, and our commitment in verses 41 and 42. Receiving us means receiving our reward in all of those verses. To receive us means... That somebody's going to receive Christ and the Father. It means that they're going to go to heaven. It means that there's going to be reconciliation with God. And that should encourage us with the mission because we have people that, that need to go to heaven that we want to see enter into the joys there. And so we should be faithful in our mission to reach them. Because if, they, if, if we do, they will be reconciled to God and enjoy him forever. Receiving us, though, means a, a full commitment to everything that the gospel is and, and everything that we preach. To, to receive in this sense is to take on the word of God and to follow it and to live the way that Jesus commands us to live. It's to take on the character and the righteousness of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has told us as his disciples were to be committed to live a righteous and holy life in this world. And if we, if people will receive us, it means also receiving the reward that we will receive. And Jesus then reminds us at the very end of this sermon that, that living for his sake and being faithful to the mission and building the church together like we're doing at Grace Bible Fellowship, that that is a work that will be richly rewarded in eternity. And so a text like this is, is one that, that really should even cause us to think about how are we being involved in this mission? How are we serving the Lord to build up his church? Maybe God even would, would call some of us, even in this hour, to be missionaries, to give our lives, to go and bring the gospel to places that, that the gospel isn't. That it would be a, a time for us to think about how are we supporting missionaries and are we supporting the right missionaries that are doing the work the way that God has called us to do. And so I would, I've, and I've been praying this week that God would raise up missionaries from our midst and that we would be a church that, that is faithful to support missions, not only in our local church, we never want to forget that, but also that we would reach the world for Christ even through this local church in Lacrete. Well, to kind of finally, finally close, 
might have promised it a couple times already, but to, to close here now, we're going to sing, Behold Our God. And I just want you to think about that reward that we're going to receive for our faithfulness. We're going to behold God and enjoy him forever in heaven. And that should motivate us for the mission. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together in these verses. We thank you for three verses of encouragement at the end of this sermon. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to be faithful to the mission and that people would receive us and that they would receive Christ through us and that they would receive the Father through us and that they would receive the word of God from us and take on the character of Christ through our example and that they would be committed to loving Jesus Christ, giving up their lives for his sake through us, that they would receive us and our message in that way and that there would be also a great throng of people who would receive the reward with us that together we would rejoice in heaven. I think about our church one day in the future, standing before your throne, rejoicing together, receiving our reward together for the way that we served you. We pray, Father, that you would bring it all to reality. And we just thank you that, that you promised us in this text that this would happen. That even though we might be persecuted, some will come to Christ And we thank you for your sovereignty in that. And we pray that you would use us greatly in that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.